Well, today I want to take you on a journey. A journey through the paths of distrust, uh, through disobedience, through disdain, while at the same time this path will weave through adoration and devotion and dedication. This journey is a journey of contrasts. Contrast between a father and a son. Contrast between love and hate. Contrast between loyalty and betrayal. I want to take us on a journey to understand the heart of man, man versus the heart of God. For the last 10 weeks, we've actually been on this journey. We've tried to understand what does it mean to be a person after God's own heart. We've studied the life of David. And what goes into, you know, being a person who feels the way that God feels, that wants what God wants, that, that uh, is motivated by the same things that the Lord is motivated by. The title of this series is The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, starring David, King David. And what kind of heart did David have? There, he had some pretty good stuff about him. But even in the bad and the ugly about David, we still see a guy who clearly was a man after God's own heart. So this morning, we come to the end of this series, where we're going to wrap it all up. We're going to try and bring it all together uh, this morning as we talk about what does it mean to be a woman or a man after God's own heart, and, and try to dig out that and be really clear about it, and then Secondly, then we'll follow up with, so how do we develop that? How do we keep on developing that kind of heart that we would be men and women, boys and girls, that, would, that God would say, you know what, their heart beats like my heart. Their heart is very much a part of what I'm all about. And so we begin by how to know if we have a heart like God's heart. How do we know if we have a heart like God's heart? Well, I have to bring us back a few weeks, uh, reintroduce many of you, and for some of you, maybe introduce to you for the very first time, David's third son, to David's third son. His name was Absalom. And you may recall uh, a few weeks back when we were talking about Absalom, he had a younger sister named Tamar. And Tamar was violated by David's other son, her half-brother uh, named Amnon. So we've got Absalom, Tamar, and the oldest son of David, who was Amnon. Amnon violated Tamar. And Absalom was so enraged by that, so angered by that, that he ends up plotting and killing his older brother, older half-brother, Amnon. Remember this? Some of you remember that? Well, you know what Absalom did after he killed his older brother? Well, why don't we go to 2 Samuel Chapter 13, we'll find out exactly what Absalom did after he killed his brother Amnon. If you have a Bible, you can follow along. Otherwise, I have the scriptures up here on the screen. And we're going to go to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 13, beginning at verse 37, right there toward the end of chapter 13. This is what Absalom did after he killed his brother. It says in verse 37, Now Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, the king of Gesher. Verse 38. So Absalom had fled and gone to Gesher and was there three years. Now, 
<clears throat> Absalom runs away. He kills his brother, and he runs away, runs from Jerusalem up to Gesher. Gesher, by the way, is on the eastern coast of the Sea of Galilee. So it's the land to the east of the Sea of Galilee, and he's hiding out there. Absalom does not have the heart of God. Absalom sins, he does wrong, and then he goes and he hides. The heart that is not the heart of God, the heart of a natural man, is a person who doesn't want to be found, who doesn't want to be discovered. It doesn't, he, his heart doesn't beat after the Lord's heart, and so he tends to run away from accountability. He runs away from being found out about his wrongdoings. He doesn't want to be exposed for who he really is. He's governed by fear. This idea of the heart of man wants to hide, wants to you know, not be found out, goes all the way back to the beginning. You might remember in Genesis chapter 3, when uh, Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, and then God is walking in the cool of the garden, remember this, and he's calling out to Adam, you know, where are you, where are you? And then, and then Adam gives him a response. Remember what Adam's response was? Well, let me share with you what it is. Back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10, uh, Adam says, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, speaking to the Lord, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. We hide because we don't want to be found out. We hide because we don't want to face the fact that we might be wrong, that we might be in the wrong, or we clearly are in the wrong. We don't want to admit our insecurities. We don't want to admit our weaknesses. We don't want to admit our failures. Because if we do that, it will feel like we're standing there, you know, naked before God or naked before others. And so we hide ourselves from God. We hide ourselves from others. We even hide ourselves from ourselves. But God's heart is a heart that seeks. He's the one who goes after Adam. Where are you? He's a, he's a God who seeks the lost to be found. Even in Luke chapter 15, when Jesus was describing the heart of God, he said he's like a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one of them is missing. And he leaves the 99 sheep in the open field, and he goes to find the one that was, is missing. And when he finds the one, he puts it up on his shoulders, and he brings it back to the whole flock, and, and everybody rejoices that the one that was lost is now found. And then in that, it actually says that the angels rejoice in heaven when a lost sheep is found. And so when we hear a news like from the sportsman's banquet last night that 11 people were lost and now they're found, I, I'm afraid that we Midwesterners are kind of a little bit timid, you know. Oh, that's wonderful. When in the angels in heaven are like, woohoo, yeah, that is, a, that is worth rejoicing in. Praise God. Yes, praise God. So, listen to David's heart, for I think it reflects the heart of God. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 13 again, verse 37, at the end of it, it says, and David mourned for his son every day. And in verse 39, and the heart of David longed to go out to Absalom. And then in chapter 14 and verse 1, now Joab, Joab, by the way, is second in command in David's army. So, I mean, he's like the main guy for David's right-hand man. Now Joab, the son of Zeruiah, perceived that the king's heart was inclined toward Absalom. 
where the king's heart longed to be with Absalom. He longed to be connected with his son. When my kids were little, one of the favorite games that we liked to play was hide-and-seek. It was really fun. I remember like with Bethany and Kara, so Bethany's now 13, Kara's 16, but when they were like six and three, you know, we would be playing and it'd be Bethany's turn to find us, so she would bury your face in, this, in the couch and start counting, one, two, three, and Kara and I would scatter, you know, and go hide, and some of my favorite hiding spots, well, one of my favorite hiding spots was to jump in the tub and close the shower curtain, right? I'd stand there, and then Bethany would come looking around. She couldn't find me, couldn't find me. She'd find Kara, you know, and then, and then she'd try to find me, and she couldn't find me, so I would do this little thing. I'd be in the shower. I'd go, <coughs> and then she'd be like, I heard dad, I heard dad, you know, and, and then she'd be like, get a little closer, but still couldn't find me, then I'd go, <coughs> and she'd go, <coughs> and then she'd know that I'm in the bathroom, you know, and then she'd open up the shower curtain, and I'd go, Whoa! and she'd go, ah, it would be so much fun, oh, you got me, you totally found me, you know, and then it'd be my turn to be the one to count, so I'd get on the couch, and I'd count, one, two, three, get up to whatever number we picked, like 20, and then they'd be hiding, now here's the thing, with a three-year-old, Wherever I hid last, I knew where to find her. And so I'd act like I don't know where to find her, you know, and I'd find Kara, and then I'd be looking around, and then all of a sudden you hear this little voice from behind the shower curtain. Oh, she must be somewhere, you know. And then I'd finally pull the curtain back, and sure enough, there she was, and oh, okay, you totally found me. You know, I hid so well, it took you so long to find me, and I had to do my little voice thing, you know, to help you find me. I think that's a lot of, like, how we are. We like to hide, but we like to be found as well. We tend to have this inclination to not want anybody to really know about us. But deep down inside, I think we really want to be found. Deep down inside, we we want to be known. We want our hearts to connect with God's heart. God's heart is one who seeks to find. So we got to ask ourselves the question, do I have the kind of heart like God's heart? With this first question, do we hide or do we seek? Do we hide for fear of being exposed? For fear of being rejected or hurt? Or do we seek Do we seek to be known and to know? Do we seek restoration, connection? Oh, you found me. Do we seek to be rescued, to find harmony? Deep down inside of every one of us here, I know, we long for that pure, unconditional, unbroken love. We want the heart of God to connect with our hearts. And I think if we're honest, we would love to have that kind of heart for others. That we would reflect God's heart toward other people. The second question we need to ask ourselves is this. Do we promote ourselves or others? Are we a promoter of ourselves or a promoter of others? So here Absalom is in Gesher for three years. And then at the end of those three years, David actually sent to bring Absalom back to Jerusalem. And I think Absalom thought, okay, good, you know, I can kind of work this thing out with my dad about killing my half-brother, and 
And yet he's in Jerusalem for two whole years and he never sees his dad the whole time. Matter of fact, jump down to 2 Samuel 14 and verse 28. 2 Samuel 14, 28. Now Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem and did not see the king's face. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king. Remember, Joab's the right-hand man of David. But he would not come to him, so he sent again a second time, but he would not come. Therefore, Absalom said to his servants, See, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. One way to get his attention, I guess. Then Joab arose, came to Absalom at his house, and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent you uh, for you, saying, Come here, that I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Geshur? It would have been better for me to still be there. Now, therefore, let, let's, let me see the king's face. And if there is iniquity in me, let him put me to death. In other words, I'm sick and tired of living in this, you know, no man's land. Either resolve this thing with how I treated my brother and my half-brother. Uh, you know, just let's get to the end of this. I'm tired of this lingering on and on. Verse 33. So when Joab came to the king and told him, he called for Absalom. Thus he came to the king and prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king. So Absalom lays out before the king and says, I know I'm guilty. You can do whatever you want to me. I'm submitting to your will. And then look what David does. And the king kissed Absalom. I forgive you. I love you. Now, if Absalom had the heart of God, you would think from that point forward, they'd work on restoring their relationship. They'd work on, you know, loving each other well. They'd try to figure out how to how to mend this relationship that they had. If he had that kind of heart, that's what we would expect. But Absalom doesn't have that kind of heart. Notice what it says in the next verse, chapter 15 and verse 1. Now it came about after this that Absalom provided for himself a chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on, a part, on, on the part of the king. In other words, the king is out of touch with you people. The king doesn't really care about your issues. Then verse 4, Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that one would appoint me the judge in the land, then every man who has a suit or a cause could come to me, and I would give him justice, unlike my father does, is how he's portraying himself. Verse 5, And when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Time and time again, Absalom promoted himself over his father. Whenever we put ourselves over another, we're not reflecting the heart of God. Whenever we are uh, selfishly thinking, well, how do I benefit from this? Or how does this affect me, first and foremost? I mean, how does it affect my career, my, my way that I want to go, my family, my lot in life? 
we're all, if we are looking out for numero uno, you know, number one, I'm number one here, we don't reflect the heart of God. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 said, if we want to have the heart like Christ has, then we should think of others as more important than ourselves. That wasn't Absalom's attitude. Now, he was trying to overthrow David. He was trying to become the king. And as he moves into Jerusalem and wins the heart of the people, then David and all of his people are forced out of the city. Now, as Absalom was totally focused on himself, see if we can pick up on who David is focused on here. Jump down to uh, uh, 2 Samuel 15 and verse 13. It says, Then the messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee. For otherwise, none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. He wasn't just thinking about me, me, me. He was thinking about us. I want to make sure that my people are okay. I want to make sure that my people are protected. And he had this heart connection with the people. And then if you skip down as they're leaving Jerusalem, the heart of David shines through clearly in verse 30. Look at verse 30. And David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went, and his head was covered as he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. Everybody felt David's heart in this moment. Everybody was connected to him on a deep level. And Absalom wanted to be the king. But you know, to be the king, you had to make sure that the current king was no longer alive. You can't can't be on the throne if your dad is on the throne. So Absalom planned to kill his father to be on the throne, and he had his army all together, and he was amassing this army to go against David's army, and as he had David's army, uh, you know, ready to do battle, then the army of David said, you're not going to go out there, we're here to protect you, and then as this battle is about ready to begin, you hear the heart of David again. Jump all the way over to chapter 18, and verse 5. Chapter 18 and verse 5. Look at David's heart here. The king charged Joab, remember that's his right-hand man, and these other two are his commanders, Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king charged the commanders concerning Absalom. David, always merciful, always gentle. David, always caring, That's his heart. Never self-promoting. David's heart was the heart of a loving father. And that's the kind of heart God has for you and for me. So let me ask a third question. Do we, do our hearts break unconditionally for others? Do our hearts break unconditionally for others? Like, like David's heart was going out to Absalom, even though Absalom was trying to kill him. Do our hearts break unconditionally when people haven't actually earned a spot in our heart yet? Do people actually have to kind of win us over in order for our hearts to break for them? Do they have to prove themselves? So the battle breaks out with Absalom. And in the fight, David's army prevails... And Absalom in the battle ends up dying. And then a messenger comes to David to say, hey, we won, and you know, 
Your enemy is gone. And look at David's response. Jump down to verse 31. Verse 31. It says, Behold, the Cushite arrived, and the Cushite said, Let my lord the king receive good news, for the Lord has freed you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. Then the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, Let the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. David knew exactly what he meant when he said that. And look at his emotional response in verse 33. The king was deeply moved and went up to the chambers over the gate and wept. And thus he said as he walked, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Just feel the ache in his heart. When I was a pastor in Watsika, Illinois, which was the pastorate I had before coming here, uh, I was there for eight years, and I am not exaggerating when I say I had to do something that I, I really haven't had to do here. And this I had to do pretty much every year. A, a tragedy happened every year where I had to do a funeral of a teenager who died in a car accident. I, I'm t on average, it probably was one a year. I mean, you know, we're in the cornfields of Illinois. The corn is tall. The country roads... And they would just drive. They wouldn't slow down at those uncontrolled intersections. And every year I ended up having to do a funeral for a, a, a teenager. Uh, the railroad tracks, you know, were going across the country. And those, those country roads didn't have the gates that came down when the trains came. And it was just tragic. And I would go to the hospital. I would, I would get the call. I'd go to the hospital. And the students, the high school students, would be in the parking lot or they'd be inside the lobby of the hospital and they're weeping and they're crying and they're hugging one another and you could just feel it like oh no they got the news that that their classmate their friend the one they grew up with is now gone and I could feel the longing I could feel the aching I could feel the heaviness in that moment in their hearts I think that's just a a snapshot, just a, a hint at the heart of God. That He longs for us. That He's moved in His heart by the tragedies of our lives. That He's connected to us in our heart and that He weeps over our heartaches. That He holds us close to His heart. And He, he doesn't scold us or shame us or wag His finger at us. His heart breaks unconditionally for you and for me. He longs for us. And as I was there and those students were all around and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to process this. They don't know, you know, like their friend is now gone. It just, I can feel it in the moment. Like they would do anything to have their friend back. They would do absolutely anything to have their friend back. I think that's the heart of God. Matter of fact, when I was reading Genesis 3 and I was thinking about this message, I was thinking, it's not God walking through the garden and go, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? No, I, I, he knew where Adam was. He knew what just took place. And so I don't think that was his heart. I think his heart was coming out, Adam! Adam, where are you? I knew this was going to happen, but Adam! Oh, 
oh, our relationship is broken. Our relationship is broken. My relationship with mankind is broken because of sin. Because you didn't do what I asked you to do. You didn't heed my warnings. You, now we're separated. And in God's heart, I just know in that moment, he's like, I will do whatever it takes to mend this relationship. I will do whatever it takes so that they would be with me. So from eternity past, he had a plan. And that plan was that he would come from heaven. He would not grasp onto that glory that he held, but he'd come and become a man. And this God-man named Jesus then said, I am going to mend this relationship. I am going to pay their penalty for their sins. My blood will cover their sins so that they can have a relationship with us and spend forever with us. And so Jesus dies on that cross to pay for your sins and for my sins because God doesn't want to be separated from you. He wants to know you. He wants to be connected at, our, at a heart level. Jesus laid down his life for you and for me. That's what we were doing when we were talking about what communion was all about. That's the heart of God. And if we have a heart that beats like the heart of God, then we must ask this question, would we lay our lives down for others? Would we lay our lives down for others? Even when they seem like they're against us, like Absalom was against David. Did you see David's response at the end of verse 33? Look at it again. He said, Would I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. Even though Absalom saw David as his enemy, David never stopped having that father heart for his boy. He loved him unconditionally, and he forgave him over and over and over again. And yes, he would have laid his life down for his boy. Do we love people at that level? Do we love people at the level where we'd say, I'd lay my life down for you? When I ask myself that question, I'd honestly have to say, no. I mean, my family members, I think I'd lay my life down for them. People that I love, you know, my friends, people that I love, I'd, I, would, I would hope that I would lay my life down for them. But what about those who, well, that... <laughs> As I thought about it, I could probably come up with some names of people that I'm not sure that I would lay my life down for them. You know? But I'd be willing to lay my life down for people who maybe don't really like me. Well, that's the heart of God. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were yet sinners... God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son. And then just two verses later, we are called enemies of God and that he died for his enemies even. He loves us so much. Don't you feel like, oh Lord, give me that heart. Grow me. Grow my heart to be a heart like your heart where I would just love people like you love people. 
So how do we develop this heart? How do we develop a heart like God's heart? How do we have God's heart when we have Absaloms in our life that don't really like us or uh, people in authority over us like Saul who didn't like David, remember? I mean, how do, how do we have God's heart when we have people that don't seem to be in our corner? How do we have God's heart when you know, we're facing the giants like Goliath and it's scary and we, we have a courageous heart like God's heart? How do we have God's heart when things are going well and, and you know, things are pretty great and making sure that we don't sort of drift into sort of praising ourselves? How do we have God's heart when we have you know, the bad and the ugly show up in our lives and how do we respond to it the way God would want us to respond to it? How do we have God's heart where it's so weaved, our heart is so weaved so tightly with God's heart that when people look at us, they would say, you know, her, boy, I see, she is like a woman after God's own heart, clearly. Or, you know, if I had to just imagine what, what God's heart is like, I mean, it's like that guy. <laughs> That's my picture. How do we have that kind of heart? Well, two things I want to just share. First of all, we must passionately pursue God's will today passionately pursue God what is your will for me today where we're committed to going after his truth for our lives today and I mean listen to how David is described over in the book of Acts this is how he's described Acts chapter 13 verse 22 after God had removed Saul after he had removed him he raised up David to be their king concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, get this, a man after my heart who will do all my will. And then over in verse 36, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. In other words, he died after he served the Lord in his generation. David, with all of his faults, all of his failures, he was a man after God's own heart. He was a guy that served God passionately, pursuing God in his generation. How do we do that in our generation for us today? Well, I, when I thought this through, I was remembering when Jesus was praying for us in John 17. He was praying for his disciples, but he was praying for us. And in John 17, 15, we read this prayer on our behalf. Jesus says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. If we want to serve God in our generation, I see two things that Jesus was praying for us. First of all, don't take them out of the world. In other words, we shouldn't be isolated from the world. We want to do God's will. Don't be isolated from the world. We've got to be in the world, maybe not of it, but in it. And we, we can't sort of say, well, I can't, you know, just kind of keep everything away. We've got to make sure that we're in the world, that we're relevant to the world, that we know the world, and the world knows us. But then the second part of that is, but keep them from the evil one. So we need to realize the evil one is real. Evil is real. Satan is real. And he is a thief. And he comes to steal and kill and destroy. And you and I have seen that. He has killed and destroyed families and people and dreams and taken away from people that peace that God wants them to have and that abundant life that he wants them to have. So we need to realize that we are the ones to bring the light of Jesus to our world. We are the ones that have to go out and tell people about the Lord Jesus. We're the ones who have to be his witnesses here in Manitowoc and in East Central Wisconsin and around the whole world if he would have us. Which means we have to 
keep our minds engaged and our hearts engaged into what God wants for our lives. If you want to know what we, how to do his will for, for us, just go to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's all about God's word. We've got to be in God's word. It says that God's word is used to thoroughly equip us for every good work. In other words, thoroughly equip us so that we can serve God's purposes in our day and age. And we've got to be about being the church together, doing this together, where we connect with one another and we grow in the Lord together and we serve the Lord together and we go out into the world together inviting people into a relationship with Him. And we do this by the Spirit's power, not by our own power. That we rely on the Holy Spirit. That we make sure that we're using the Holy Spirit to help us. That we're saying, Lord, help me to do this and help me have victory over that. Surrendering to Him, trusting in Him to work in us. Which leads me to my final point. We have to live every day by faith. This has got to be a life of faith. Notice David is described in what's called the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11:32. listen to this. It says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David, there he is, and Samuel and the prophets. And this is what David did. Who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched by the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This is what David did. All of his victories, by the way, all of David's victories were victories that he won by faith, not by his own power. There was a legend of a guy who was in the desert for a long time, and he was super thirsty, and you know, he's like, didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, he saw up ahead of him an old rundown shack. And he goes to the shack, oh, just some shade, you know. And he, he finds a little wall, and it's weather beaten, and the windows are smashed out. And, and he just kind of sits down on the wall uh, edge of the, of the shack in the little bit of shade that he could get. And as he looked out, he saw about 15 feet away a well. A pump, like for a well, water pump. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, oh, oh good. Oh, boy, am I happy. <laughs> Come on, baby. at the shed he saw a jug there like oh yeah oh oh, I hope there's something in it and sure enough he goes to pick up this jug it's like oh it's heavy so he pulls the cork off the top and he sees down inside the jug there's water of course it's been sitting there a while so it's warm a little stale but he goes to pick it up and he notices there's like a note on the side of the jug and the note on the side of the jug said Use this water to prime the pump. But you got to pull, pour all the water into the pump. Well, now he's got a dilemma. Do I drink the water or do I pour it in the pump and possibly get fresh 
well water. He thinks, okay, I'm going to hope this works. Oh, I hope this works. And he pours it down the pump. sudden this little dribble and then a little stream oh oh yeah and then all of a sudden it's just gushing out oh yeah baby oh water all over him and he's just filling up with all he has you know and He's just enjoying as much water as he ever wanted. It's cool. It's refreshing. It was wonderful. On the jug, by the way, it had a little P.S. which said, make sure you fill the jug for the next guy, right? So after he's had his fill and he's drank as much as he possibly can, he fills the jug up and he brings it back over by the shed and he sets it down and then he pulls out a little scrappy pencil that he had and he adds to the bottom of the note. It really works. But you gotta give it all away. You know, this whole thing about having a heart like God's heart It's something you can't go in half-heartedly into. You can't go, well, I'll give it a shot, you know, a little bit. The only way that we can have God's heart is if we prime the pump, if we give it all away. And when you give your heart to the Lord, sometimes it's going to still feel dry. Are you kidding me? Come on, Lord, I gave you it all, and it's just not coming. And we just feel a little squeaky, like, I can't believe I gave you my heart and this is the result. Might still feel a bit dry, even after we give our hearts to the Lord. But, but by faith, we say, God, I, I don't care. I, I just, I surrender all to you. I give you my whole heart. Change me, God. Take this heart of mine. Change me. Take my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. 